Hello and welcome to Deep Impact, a proud member of the Doof Network. We dive deep into Wabo's most bibliophilic work, five years on. Okay, up next is Elliot Diebold. And that was Ruben Morehouse. And we are back to talk about Possession (laughs) 15.1. We're well and truly into the abyss now. The barber's free, and let's see what damage he's going to do, I guess. Uh, Yeah. Um, I mean, this this chapter's like such a crazy way to start off (laughs) the the arc. Like, we just, we dive headfirst into the action. Um, And what I really want to talk about at the start here is how fucking insanely awesome this setting is. Mm. is they're like it's this it's this collapsing maze of a of a castle that's actually haphazardly building itself upwards and they're trying to run up it's like yeah it's like the 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 bastardized bastardized crazy version of like those stairs in the harry potter movies um mixed in with like a little bit of the movie labyrinth um Mm. i don't even know if i have the words to convey exactly how cool i think this is but just the image of this crumbling slash like poorly put together library forming in front of them as they're running up away from this you know horrifying demon is just yeah like i you know this is the part of pact that needs to be made into like an animated or or live action (laughs) series like this is phenomenal yeah it's good isn't it it's it's interesting it didn't necessarily give me this vibe this chapter but i kind of imagined that this might become a thing of like the abyss library is sinking and building as we go. And it gives you this image of them while they're climbing, just kind of running on a treadmill in place because it's sinking down and building more in front of them (laughs) as they go while the demon slowly catches up with them. It's just kind of a bad situation to be in. Yeah. Well, like the, the whole idea that the, you know, thin corridors of flimsy material that is the library is just surrounded by this complete and utter blackness of you know yeah god knows what um is what really sort of can can give you that idea that you know maybe they are just running on a treadmill or even if they're not that it makes it so precarious yeah uh, definitely it's, it's, it's great yeah um so obviously their goal is to get to the top and then somehow get out <laughs> they'll yeah, figure that I, out when they get there I mean, it's hard to blame them, but you're right. It's kind of like, okay, so we just got to keep running from all this bad shit, and then we'll get to Faisal, and um, yeah, yeah that'll think be about that somehow. Part. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, uh, something I quite liked is in one of the very first lines here, Blake is looking around, and he sees a behem, and of course his thought says, Callan's age, related to the man that killed Callan, which is such a... <laughs> obvious abyss invasive thought i loved it it's like oh yeah we're back all right yeah my my response to seeing this is like the third line in the chapter and my response to seeing it was just like oh fuck this this thing's back like (laughs) i do feel like part of what this chapter does is just start to make us realize the huge mountain of shit that our team is under right now yeah Um, we we get reminders of all the ways the abyss can try to fuck with them uh, we're constantly being reminded that Molly's going off somewhere yeah. nearby, and then obviously, like, we get to see Barbatorum in action a little bit. Yeah, you're right. It does just kind of set up a few things that can come in to fuck with the team later, right? Like, Blake only has this one intrusive thought here, um, but y- you can kind of see that it will probably come back more this ch- this arc. Yeah, yeah. Um, and there's a few others, like... Uh, th- this chapter kind of reminds me of the fact that Hillsglade House had some like architectural tricks, like um, 
space warping kind of stuff. And that doesn't necessarily come into the library yet, but it, it does have a few sentences where it just kind of reminds me that that existed and potentially could come in as a, a twist or a trick later on in the arc as well. Like, I feel like this chapter is setting those things up quite nicely to, to stick them in our mind. Yeah, that's true. We haven't seen any specific space warpy stuff that uh, stands out to me. But, like, obviously I already compared it to the movie Labyrinth. And yeah. Like I, I feel like a labyrinth is what is forming here, uh, and that feels like maybe an abstract, you know, interpretation of it. Like, this, yes. this place is becoming a maze, and that might be in part due to those sorts of elements of the house. Yeah, well, it's becoming a labyrinth. Is that a thing? <laughs> it is now. <laughs> um... <laughs> Sorry, that was very stupid. Um, <laughs> so, uh, as they're climbing upwards, there's basically uh, stuff falling down all the time, and one such falling thing falls and breaks the floor, giving them this kind of uh, Lord of the Rings-esque split in the ground between uh, these two bits. And, of course, Blake is on the wrong so side I, I of was it. Thinking, I was thinking Land Before Time. Oh, yeah, of course you are. Um, <laughs> yeah, so Blake and a behame woman, whose name we later learn is Millie, uh, on the other side of this, uh, you know, five or six meter gap that separates them from uh, going upwards and the rest of the group. Um, yeah, and and I think like th- this is all part of the chapter that's dedicated to really drilling into us how flimsy and flaky all the structures are here. And yeah. like to me, that was just like, I'd forgotten how good the abyss was at making just everything so fucking difficult. Like. Yeah. You know, every every floorboard has to sort of creak under you and, and, and potentially break away. Like, you just can't have a moment of peace. And, of course, now we've got that lumped on top of, you know, demons and shit chasing us. So it's just, it's good to be home. <laughs> yeah, it, it really is just a nightmare, right? Like, there's no yeah. way around it. It is just horrible to him. Um, and to him specifically, like, Blake kind of feels kind of feels it uh, singling him out here for a test, right? Which I think is a bit self-important, but also he is the protagonist and ha- does have a relationship with the Abyss, so I'll kind of let it slide. I mean, I actually kind of got the impression that it was maybe doing this to a handful of people. Mm. Like, o- obviously, we see what happens later with Catherine. That seems pretty specifically designed to fuck her oh, up. Oh, yeah, for sure. So so I don't know if it's just Blake, but he is definitely one of the candidates that the Abyss seems to enjoy uh, playing with. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think the fact that he has wings makes him an ideal target for like trade-off questions because, of course, he could at any point just fly the way all the way up. Yeah, and, and in fact, um, one of the things he starts to think on as, as the abyss uh, sort of carries on here is how it this place has a slightly different personality to what he saw in the drains. Like he felt mm-hmm. like the drains was very patient and um you know sort of trying to weigh you down whereas this place might be more reflective of the people who are in it as it's forming mm. um which is basically you know in special part thanks to molly i assume um just it, this just seems like a real angry part of the abyss that lashes out uh very easily yeah i i think one of the best examples of of this is uh blake uses you know blake is offered this choice by the by the abyss, I keep wanting to call it drains. By the abyss, by the library um, of leaving this woman behind, or you know, make sacrificing yourself to uh, save her, and um, and he he 
thinks his way around it, right? He finds actually quite a clever trick, which is freeze, get her to freeze him, use him as a stepping stone, unfreeze him, and then they're both across, right? And it's a mm. clever trick. And normally, kind of narratively, you'd expect a trick that kind of solves that problem in a clever way to be to pay off. Uh, you know, if they get saved, maybe they lose a little bit of time, but it works overall. But no, the <laughs> the library is just like, nah, you can't do that. Um, I'm not going to let you think your way out of this one. And just unceremoniously chucks a brick at her and she dies. And it's like, oh, okay. Yeah, it feels so unfair, doesn't it? Um, Yeah, no, it really is. It kind of breaks that convention that we've seen throughout the book of Blake coming up to a problem, finding a clever trick, you know, maybe losing some flesh, but still getting through it with (laughs) most of his goals intact. Yeah, whereas this is he he does that here, he finds the clever third way and uh, the library is like, oh, f- fuck you. No, then no one can have her. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know. I'm going to be interested to see how this sort of idea plays forward as they're in the library because that, yeah, that's what really sets this up as the meaner part of the abyss. This is a part of the abyss that when it presents you with an option, if you try to outsmart it, it will just fuck you over. And so that that's going to that's gonna kind of change how Blake might have to play along here. Yeah, and and the thing is... Presumably, just sh- shooting a brick at Millie's head, it doesn't help the Abyss's goals in any way. It's not like that's some clever way that has made Blake, you know, whatever, sacrifice a part of himself. It is just a kind of like, oh, you don't want to play along? Fine, well, I don't want to play along either. <laughs> like, it just doesn't <laughs> help anybody. It's just kind of spiteful. Yes, uh, so... Thanks, Molly. Probably, um, <laughs> although I don't know some of the some of the other Jacobs Bell residents that are down here probably aren't uh, aren't having you know or are having some influence on that. Okay, now this might be a little bit too tinfoil, but does the fact that her name is Millie and that's so close to Molly mean anything? <laughs> <laughs> um, or do we think that's just a coincidence? No, it, it also is such that, an unbehaved name. Like it must be short for like Maleficent or something. Oh, yeah, it's definitely short for something ridiculous. Um, yeah, I don't know. Um, I, I, let's see if Millie's ever brought up again, and maybe maybe there is some <laughs> little neat poetic connection to be made there, but uh, okay, we'll uh, see. at this stage, no, I don't think so. Um, so, yeah, Blake catches up to the rest of the group, uh, but uh, as he is catching up to them, the barber catches up to him um, and basically just starts... Easily taking him apart. Yeah, you know what? It turns out the barber's a little bit scary. Yeah, um, demon, powerful demons, actually powerful. <laughs> um, I mean, it, and it, it's fun because it's very different to Ur. Like, I think Ur frightened me a little bit more when we saw it in action, just because mm. of how abstract it is, and it's this cloud of, of stuff that grows and can encompass you. Whereas Barbatorum acts in a lot of ways just like a, a person sort of thing like in its movement strategies and stuff um but of course what's what's really scary is what barbatorum does to you when it gets a hold of you presumably yeah um blake manages to dodge that bullet this chapter um but i, I feel like the real reason you're trying to be afraid of uh of barbatorum is because of you know or at least just kills you and you get like a quick death uh barbatorum doesn't give you that uh that mercy the fact that Ur was kind of somewhat bound, at least stuck in location, and Barbatorum just can go anywhere, it really does make a huge difference. Like, the fact that you're never actually safe, you're just 
moments ahead of him catching up to you. Yeah, yeah. He does just feel like there's this word of God where where Wabo said that he kind of wanted a feeling somewhat like the Terminator, just this unstoppable force that is coming towards you and you just Mm. don't have anything that can, you can slow it down for moments, but you can't actually stop it. Um, And that's really what the the Baba feels like. It's, it's, yeah, yeah, it's inevitable. Um, Yeah, I like, I, I actually love that. Sort of, if that's what Wobber was going for, I think he kind of nailed it because I love the sense you get that I don't think we ever see Barbatorum like even do more than just walk. Like, he mm. doesn't even power walk, he doesn't go for a light jog, he just walks at you. But because of his way he can throw the shears and then teleport out of them, it's like you kind of get your cake and eat it too. Like, Barbatorum only walks after his victims, but because he can throw the shears, he can move quickly when he needs to. Yeah. So, you you kind of you, you get the the threatening way that he just calmly approaches you also mixed in with the way that he can you know catch you up Teleport. over large distances yeah yeah, yeah. It, it occurs to me that I, I hadn't put this together before but it also quite reminds me of the movie the horror movie it follows which again is this great movie based around this monster that is just constantly walking towards you and it builds up such a scary um such a scary like thought of okay well, what's going to happen when he catches me and yeah uh, i i think the same thing applies to barbie and we kind of see what's going to happen when it catches people with these ghost children later but it, it really is mm. quite not just uh like physically painful and horrifying but also psychologically terrifying yeah absolutely um so yes of course blake gets caught by barbatorum almost immediately <laughs> <laughs> uh, and and uh, Evan is trying to help out, and there's this funny moment where Barbie stabs Blake with the shears, and Evan does a little bit of like a nudge, and nudges it so the shears just go through a hole that was already in Blake's body. <laughs> and there's this weird moment where you know everyone's kind of looking at the shears and being like, "Huh?" And Evan actually says, <laughs> "Um." <laughs> it's just a classic. It's it's weird. There's one or two humor beats in this chapter that really worked on me, just because they are such great payoffs to the incredibly mounting tension of the library. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, this is great as well because you know what saved Blake here is the fact that he's just always losing bits of himself, like literally. Yeah. Um It's 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 a good little moment. Yeah. Um. And here's another moment that I think is nice to show breaking of conventions. Uh. Blake tries to use that goblin chain that he's been carrying around for a while to, to escape from Barbie's grab, grasp, and Barbatorum just reaches out and grabs the goblin chain, and it screams and dies. And it's fun because we we got this idea that Mara could touch somebody to kill them, but we never actually saw it being used. And it, it obviously set her apart as a high level of power, but not seeing it kind of meant that it was like, we knew about it, but we didn't actually see it. And so we weren't actually shocked and like violated the rules with it. Um, but we see it very, again, unceremoniously here by Barbie. And it is just horrifying. Like we know that, okay, he can just kill something if he wants to immediately. And yet he's, he's got Blake here and he's kind of planning on doing something with him. Um, and I like the idea that based on what we see later, the, the goal of the barber is to catch Rose, right? Like he wants to unbind himself to the seal of Solomon. I like the idea that, uh, using his shears to fuck with Blake would be a better way to get Rose than just killing Blake. So uh, <laughs> horrible things in store for Blake. Yeah, I mean, well, obviously there's um there's a part of Blake that you could use to uh 
you know, fight Rose. Yes. Right? Like, you could take away the bits that, that don't. Um, I mean, I guess is... I'm a little confused as to whether the Bubba's goal is actually specifically Rose. Mm. Like, because would that free him from the Seal of Solomon? I, I guess maybe... Maybe I need yeah. to go back and read the details. I kind of thought once you're in the Seal of Solomon, you're in it. I, I didn't think that that was... That that part... Like, I thought the binding that was tied to the Thorburn family was his current circle that he was in. Yeah, sure. Maybe it is just, um, like, vengeance. <laughs> yeah, like, I, that that I get and can believe. Um, I also, like, you know, if he is on under the Seal of Solomon, the less people who know about him and how to summon him, you know, the less that's going to matter. And True. Rose, in that aspect, would be, you know, the the primary target because she's probably the one who has the best chance of being able to tell people how to summon him and use him. Yeah. Um, the, so she, she could be the target for that reason. This puts me in mind for a previous discussion when we were talking about, uh, when we were talking about which others we'd want to see bad things happen to. And we got onto the idea of like sentience among others. Uh, how sentient do you think the barber is? How much do you think he's a product of instinct versus, you know, thought and logic? Yeah, I, I mean, I've been assuming he's actually somewhat clever. I mean, obviously, mm-hmm. Rose was able to make a deal with him, and he cut Rose and Blake according to specific guidelines. Yes. Like, I wonder if that's an interesting other part of his dynamic. I wonder if he doesn't like Blake and Rose very much because they were a product he was forced to make, you know, against his, his natural yeah. artistic uh, inclinations. Yeah. Um, For want of a better phrase. Um, yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Um, but I like, I, I, I've been assuming, you know, we saw last chapter that Faisal got more intelligent, and so I'm assuming stuff like that has happened to the barber as well. Yeah, maybe this is just a very, uh, like, human-centric thought, but because we don't see him speak, I'm kind of on the fence about it, you know? Like, I feel like being able to talk is the primary thing, and probably he can, he just hasn't. Well, I think the manifestation of intelligence in, in different types of others is very different. And I mean, we've seen yeah. that. Like, Faisal, Faisal got the ability to plan, presumably, mm. but he didn't get the ability to have emotions or care for stuff. Um, so, it, it, you know, it what might be interesting to learn is what sort of improvements to his brain, again, for want of a better phrase, that Barbatorum might have gotten thanks to humanity. Like, what is he... What it, what differentiates Barbatorum now from the Barbatorum that might have existed twenty thousand years ago? You know, yeah, um, interesting. It, it, it may not be as simple as like better planning, but it, it might be some manifestation of intelligence in the way he goes about it. Like maybe the ability to chop things up more specifically is just sort of what he gained, rather than before, where he maybe was just someone who would chop things in half with fairly basic instincts. I think there would have to be some changes because the idea of something that travels in reflective surfaces kind of necessitates modern technologies. Like before, if he was traveling around in reflective surfaces, that was water, right? Like that's the only reflective surface before humans created, you know, mirrors and polished metals and stuff like that. Um, Pretty much. So there must have been a change. Um, Yeah, interesting. Uh, so Evan comes to the rescue here, basically. <laughs> um, <laughs> Again. Helps make an opportunity for Blake to get himself away from the barber, which he does. Um, and then Blake kind of falls off into the darkness, but is able to fly back up and catches up to the others. Um, and he finds the rest of the group being basically accosted by a teacher and her students. 
Ah, uh, yes. Uh, this teacher's very fun. I, 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 we always see her for a little bit, um, but I, I have forgotten how much fun boogeymen are. <laughs> yeah, they're all just their own little mysterious bundle of horror, huh? Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, uh, maybe I'm just sort of in medium D mode because of the stuff we've been talking about over there, but like mm. for, for Monster of the Week type stuff, you could get a lot of mileage out of boogeymen just because there's an inherent variety. There's like these fundamental rules that are kind of so generic that they barely matter. And then you've just got like endless variety on top of that. Yeah. And of course the others can break the rules and that's again, like quite horrifying in its own way. (laughs) Exactly. Um, So a fun quote here is that Blake realizes the abyss is pulling together boogeyman from other areas with that match the library theme. Um, So he sees that the teacher and children have come from what seems like some kind of a school abyss area um, and the, the abyss is just kind of doing some interior decorating here, matching its <laughs> uh, residence to its theme, which is so, like, it made me feel like it was just kind of tidying up and categorizing things, which feels like such a weird human um, way of, of building a horror theme park. Yeah, I mean, that's it's so interesting. Um, I mean, we've talked so much about how the abyss is a source of change or whatever, and then obviously last chapter we started talking about how humans are that too and obviously the abyss has had this sort of intelligence to it so obviously what the question there is as we were just talking about with the barber how much of the abyss's intelligence is thanks to humans like what yeah. what instincts might it have gained from uh the humans that ended up inside of it mm. um yeah i don't know that's just kind of a fascinating thread i hope we get to see more of throughout the arc because yeah like the the idea that the abyss is theming itself and actually you know looking around and saying, uh, I mean, these guys would be a better fit for the library um, is is just kind of fascinating. And like, what? so what? what is it achieving by building a library with themed um, others and stuff in it? Like that, that sort of shows some recognition of the importance of, of meaning and, and motif. Yes. Uh, I, the way I kind of reconcile this is practitioners obviously have a strong sense of theme because it's kind of core to this idea of the dramatic helping them amplify whatever they're yeah. doing, right? And so as practitioners fall into the abyss, the abyss kind of feeds off of their thoughts and ideas. And so now uh, the idea of theming being important, you know, as a practitioner would for their domain, for example, the abyss kind of has has gleaned over, you know, centuries of eating <laughs> thoughts of practitioners. Yeah, actually, I really like that. And especially because it just got a whole dump load of, of practitioners added to the library yep. area specifically. So um, that might be something that's actually very important to the Abyss right now. For, if it is, like, I, I feel like the way we've kind of got this infantile area of the Abyss that's still forming itself might be important going forward. Like how, yeah. it, if it is being influenced by what's already inside of it, like how much power does that give our group to help steer things even a little bit? You know, that could yeah. be really interesting. Like it, it, it's basically the abyss's version of a stem cell, right? You can kind of push it in a, a direction and potentially it could take a different shape. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, it's just occurred to me that back when the house was being sieged, uh, we saw that uh, book paper uh, demon. I'm not sure where she ended up, but yeah, maybe she's going to be here. I was thinking about her as well, actually. I um didn't didn't bite kill her with the hyena. That's a pretty final. Yeah, so maybe I, not. Yeah, because uh, yeah, I had the same thought. I was like, oh, she might be back. That'll be fun. But I think yes. I think she got hyenaed, which means she's probably not coming back. 
Yeah. Um, yeah. So, um, oh yeah. So there's this other moment that I really liked where Rose is basically, <laughs> as Blake arrives, Rose turns to this teacher ghost and tells her, shut up. I don't care what you are. I don't care. You don't scare me. And I refuse to let you waste our time. <laughs> Which is such, like, it's so, and the teacher even looks a bit kind of shocked at this and the kids all react as well. And it's kind of like, oh yeah, you can just tell it off. It's, <laughs> it reminds me of the uh, go to your room from Doctor Who, like just telling off yes. this monster. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great comparison. Um, yeah, I mean, Rose Rose seems to be tapping the conquest energy pretty bloody hard this chapter. Um, it's it's fairly evident in everything she says, and like you can't fault her at all, can you? Like that's just this is the time. Yeah. Um, you know, to to have somebody just giving orders in a way that everyone kind of instinctively follows. So, uh, yeah, uh, I good on good on Rose. Yes, it doesn't work unfortunately, uh, or it kind of works for a moment and then fails. Um. But they eventually beat the teacher by uh, showing her how terrible the books that are here are, and she gets so disappointed that Blake has the opportunity to kill her, um, which is, again, cold. Like, it's very... It actually seems to mirror to me Millie's death, right? The Abyss just kind of quickly and effectively dispatches Millie, and Blake does the same thing with the hyena to the teacher here. Yeah, I, I like that comparison, because um, it's like... I mean, there's so little thought put into this. It's just while she's panicking, Blake just comes up, slits her throat, and then kind of turns around. And he's like, "So, uh, should we should we get going?" Um, yeah. There's so little. There's so yeah. little meaning put into it. And uh, something that we've seen is Rose has has seemingly made a deal with another other here, a newspaper man, whatever that means. Um, presumably, like, "Hey, help us, and we'll set you free, and you can go hunt some." Well, not Bahames, but I guess Faisal. Um, and so the fact that this teacher sees these books and has a reaction like this obviously means that there is some level of thought and care in there that could be bargained with, but Blake's just like, nah, and just stabs it. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, yeah, that's a good point. Um, sorry, you saying that just made me think of, um, the guy from the, uh, the tenements. Was was that it? The, the oh, yeah, building? Yeah, Defenestration Man. Is that who you mean? Yeah, yes. Um. I wonder what he's up to. <laughs> you think newspaper man and defenestration man are long lost brothers? <laughs> no, no, I'm just like just thinking about uh, you know, boogeyman that they kind of met in the abyss and it's like, oh, we'll set you three free if you just stop yeah, fucking with us. Um, and he fits that bill, and <laughs> I'm wondering what he's up to to see how bad we should feel about saying stuff like that to these boogeymen. Yeah, have we seen any um? fresh dead bodies at the bottom of broken windows lately (laughs) um anyway so uh with the teacher gone these children are kind of freaking out um one of them gets down to barbatorum who who uh cuts it in half and we see this and we think okay hold on this is black and rose right now right (laughs) um Mm. and these two halves one of them uh falls into the fire and immediately dies which is uh, I guess Blake, um, and the other one seems to have kind of composed itself, allied itself with the barber, and starts to advance upon the group. And it's fairly effectively and quickly dispatched. But even so, it's this idea of okay, Barbatorum takes one thing and turns it into two uh, disjointed, broken. They're referred to as broken holes instead of halves, which I think is great. 
Yes. Um, and like, I mean, obviously what, what we're seeing here is what Barbatorum could do is if he captures something, he can turn it into a bit of a perfect weapon for him. Like clearly what he did for this little ghost boy was take out everything that wasn't just rage and violence, yeah. which, you know, probably wasn't much. Uh, but like, anyway, like it, he, he turns this kind of already kind of crazy ghost boy into like this ghost girl that is absolutely kind of raging, you know, closer to a zombie yeah. 28 days later type situation. Um, and you can see how that's going to turn. It, like, if this becomes a more prolonged conflict, you can see how this turns Barbatorum into a serious long-term threat because uh, every obstacle you put in his way that, that is like, you know, alive-ish is going to be able to bounce it back at you really fucking hard. Yeah, I mean, we've had Barbatorum characterized as being a great tool to send off to practitioners. Um, yes. And while Alistair hints that he can do some stuff to actually stop him or slow him down more more strongly, it really does feel like anything you throw in his way, he can just cut through or change to a tool using those shears. Yeah, well, if you send an other at him, it's presumably going to come back at you perfectly designed to, to fuck you up. Yes. Um, and when he bounces one back, it doesn't just get stronger. It gets different. It gets, um, like unusable by you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so, uh, Blake basically decides to stay behind to stall Barbie while the others get away. Um, and actually what he says is to Rose, he says, we already decided I would die tonight. Run, which is full on sacrificial Blake mode. Yes. Ah. Uh... Very, very full on. And I mean, especially because we, we didn't quite touch on, but Barbatorum had his hands around Blake's head earlier and there were signs that he may have lost even more flesh. Yes. Uh, so, yeah, I uh, guess we'll see where this is all going by the end of the arc. Like, uh, Blake doesn't have much to lose, but he's still he's still ready to throw it away. <laughs> yeah, I know, right. I mean, I guess he's already made that decision. I mean, they say we'd already decided I would be the one to die tonight, which isn't quite correct blake is just kind of slightly reinterpreting that in a way that suits his sacrificial position here i think yeah yeah anyway um so blake uh gets rid of this ghost child and then does quite a cool move where he blocks the shears with a book and then the barbie starts to emerge from the shears and so blake just kind of yeets the book with the shears in it over the edge (laughs) which presumably has set the barber back a fair amount um a good strategy yeah, yeah, it's um, it's clever. It's probably not going to work again, but uh, here we are. Yes. Um. So now that's uh, twice that Blake has scrapped with the barber and escaped without too much damage. Um. So obviously, keep an eye out for number three. Well, that's not a fun thought, is it? <laughs> yeah. Who knows? I mean, it could be. You know, doesn't necessarily have to work in the barber's favor. It could work in Blake's favor, but it seems unlikely. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't. I like even if it works in Blake's favor. Like, I think, you know, the thing we saw with Faisal and Johannes, you know, that ended up having to be a nine-time deal. Yeah. Uh, like, three gives you a little bit of power in that moment. I don't know if it's enough to tip big scales against uh, the barber. Or yeah. Especially if you have so little that can actually affect it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, Blake catches up to the others and finds out that they've stalled. It's actually a funny moment where he thinks, okay, we can do this as long as we keep moving. Uh, okay, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, and they, the reason they've stalled is because Catherine is unresponsive. She has read some of these books and is losing it. Oh wow! Like this is a this is a moment. Yeah, this is. I think one of uh, this makes it into a lot of people's like top moments of Pact, uh, which is 
just because of the image of Catherine reading these books, which are basically telling her horror stories about her own life, uh, and she just kind of can't help but be sucked into them and stay in this place forever. Um, it's horrible. Yeah, and so basically, yeah, like what's happened is she's found this book that is just designed seemingly to play on her worst fears. Yeah. Um, you know, that no one loves her, not not even herself. Yeah. Um, I mean, I mean, the, the, the bit that really stands out to me and makes it really tragic is is one of the big ones is that her, uh, the, the book says that her baby doesn't love her. Yeah. Which just like, I mean, I'm I'm not an expert on on you know parenthood or, or motherhood, um, but I feel like having this sort of irrational fear that your baby hates you is probably something a lot of people go through, like at some point. Yes. Uh, especially especially if this is already an insecurity you have about things like your husband and yourself. Yeah, and I can imagine being a Thorburn really doesn't help. I mean, Catherine's kind of no. been defined as making a lot of sacrifices, including, you know, in a lot of ways, compassion for others, maybe not her family, but for people outside of her family directly. And so it's kind of very easy to extend from that and think, well, in her more human moments, she must look at that and think, actually, people don't like me. Like, yeah. Yeah. Well, like, exactly. Like, I think that's a very kind of normal and, and relatable sounding insecurity to have. And the abyss is able to play on it so perfectly. Like, like I am... I'm fairly confident that Catherine's son may have grown up to hate her. Like, I think, yeah, I think the odds for that are pretty good. It's less than a year old at the moment, though. I think so. I doubt, I doubt it's there yet. You know, like it's yeah. still a baby. You've still got I don't, time. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if it if it yet perceives uh, hate or can can comprehend hate properly. Yeah, so it, it, it will hate you, but then it doesn't have object permanence. So just play peekaboo, and it'll forget who you are. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So it's kind of like, like to me, this is the abyss kind of playing on uh, an, an irrational, unrealistic fear that Catherine has kind of bottled up. And yes. And that, that, you know, makes it more tragic. No, yeah. I think this comes across to me as the abyss is lying, you know. It's playing yeah. into her fear. This isn't something that is decidedly true. Yeah, maybe that's an aspect of this uh, meaner, younger abyss area that we're seeing here. Mm-hmm. Is it's it's just it's it's even crueler and you know malicious in the way it's targeting everyone. Yeah. Um. So Catherine is taken by the abyss, potentially turned into a boogeyman that we might see later. Who knows? A crayon eye boogeyman. Uh, that's fun. <laughs> um. But anyway, they leave Catherine behind with her lightners, and the rest of the group continues on. Uh. Yes. And. I mean, as I said at the start, what an intense way to start this this arc. Like, holy shit, this is going to be a an intense arc, isn't it? Yeah, this arc obviously is the first uh, chapter of... Sorry, this chapter is the first chapter of an arc that has set up a lot of kind of horrible things <laughs> to look forward to, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Um, actually, I, I kind of put together a few of the things that, that this chapter has set up for us that we can look forward to. Um, so one that we talked about is the idea of the library seemingly breaking the rules of the story more even more than previous abyss areas have um so yeah i i i can't wait to see how that plays out more yeah we're on our third trip to the abyss this is a version of the abyss that is harsher than the others uh and it's gonna be a lot of fun to see what extra helping of of shit times that brings yeah and uh I was going to say it seems more personal, but I guess that's not necessarily true with the Blackfish. And I guess the Blackfish is basically what has just happened to Catherine, and she's failed her interaction with it. Um, but yeah, it, it seems 
it's got something to prove, which feels it's more urgent, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think there's something very inherently horrifying about distortion of the written word, which obviously this is going to start to play into a lot. The idea of horrifying books is something that uh, exists a lot in other fiction. I made a, a reference to Magnus Archives before, which has a lot of horror books in it. Um, yeah. And I'm I'm excited to see Wild Bo play with that as well. Yeah, I mean, we just talked, like, we, we both separately had the thought of, ooh, I hope Paper Girl's coming back. So <laughs> yeah. it's pretty clear that we're keen on these sorts of others and stuff. So I'm very keen to see what else gets thrown at us this arc. Yeah, and of course, it is a simple premise of you're at the bottom of a hole and the escape is at the top. You've got something chasing you. Like, it almost feels kind of video gamey in its simplicity, right? It's a platform where you've got to get to the top, avoiding monsters, and there's a constant, you know... uh inevitable wall behind you that will kill you if you fall too far behind like it's quite a fun simple setup that i think will lead to a lot of uh, different dynamics yeah but this is like that last ghost house level in a mario game like the one that's actually hard yeah um and and is is just a huge pain in the ass yeah um yeah definitely <laughs> um so i guess we'll see how these threads kind of play out over the course of the arc yeah can't wait um, now that we're uh, wrapping up our weird recording schedule, it means we can start doing discussion questions again, which is fun. So we thought we'd put yes. a discussion question in here for the new arc. Um, we've seen the Hillsglade house turn into the library as it fell into the abyss, and it started us prom- uh, thinking more about the abyss and, and what other places in the abyss might turn into. So our discussion question that we've built off of that is, pick a famous or important place to you and explain what you think the abyss might turn it into. Yeah, so, you know, we, we've just seen this. I think, like, obviously we had the drains and uh, the the tenements and we've, yep. we've speculated on what those might have come from. Um, I think as well, when Blake was in parts of Jacob's Bell, he almost slipped into what sounded like a carnival place, which, I mm. mean, that's horrifying. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I, I love this idea of, of picking, like, a famous place or, or somewhere that matters to you and, uh, like thinking about what the abyss might do with it and in particular the sorts of people who are there like if it's sunk with people in it um what influence might they have like we're seeing the the practitioners and molly have on the on the library at the moment yeah um there's a cinema in sydney that i go to a fair amount and i was thinking of places that are important to me and uh i had this thought of what the abyss's version of a cinema would look like the screens playing these kind of horror stories of your own life and i don't know Uh, what the i don't know what the confectionery would turn into but something horrifying (laughs) i'm sure yeah it'd be like you know popcorn buckets of worms (laughs) no that's very like like a scream screen like pg rated horror stuff i'm sure (laughs) wabo would think of some uh, more scary stuff to do with that yeah yeah he would um Um, but yeah so uh so leave those in the discussion thread that will be in the show notes below we'll be be talking about those in 15.4 uh yes so yeah the discussion that we linked leave it there um if you want you can also leave us your thoughts and ideas for uh, all packed up our 24-hour live stream we've been talking about it more and more our schedule's starting to come together so if you want to get in some cool ideas for what it could be uh get them in now yes there's also um uh you know in the show notes of the last few episodes you would have seen it and it'll be in these ones too there's a, a link to a Reddit post with some more info on all packed up, including a link to a Google form where we're taking suggestions for all sorts of things. Um, and, you know, we, we, we'd love more of those. We, we kind of need more of those. So yep. 
if you've got ideas for what you'd want to see um there when when certain donation goals are hit or or any other things uh head over onto that link and and send them our way please yeah um if you want to promote this show uh i mean we're getting to the end of it but hey why not it's bingeable now um then uh, why not leave us a review on your podcatcher of choice apple Podcasts, stitcher spotify maybe i think you can leave reviews there whatever um Mm. and help other people find the show that'd be great Yep, uh, and if you want to learn more about the other shows on the Do For Media network, head on over to doformedia.com. Uh, the book club is actually tomorrow when this episode comes out, mm. I'm pretty sure. Wait, no, is that, is that for the last one? Hold on, we're going to have to edit around this. Cut here, cut here. Get the Barbatorum with your shears in. I'm sad we're going to cut that great joke. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's from 14.x. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't update this. Um. There's probably a new Mochisei. Yeah, so Mochisei is back uh, this week. Uh, they took a week off for the holidays, but they're um they're back to you know they've dive nearly into finished the season OC. one as well, right? They've nearly finished season one. I think they've still got like so. There's like 27 episodes oh, in season one or America. something ridiculous. America. Um, <laughs> so yeah, so they they've still got like you know two months left. But uh, I mean, I, I've still never watched a minute of the actual OC, but I love this podcast. <laughs> Yeah, it's pretty great, isn't it? Um, if you are absolutely in awe of the sheer amount of uh, media discussion podcasts that the Doof Media Network is able to put out, uh, take note that it's only because of our wonderful patrons. Uh, if you'd like to become one of these wonderful patrons and help support these shows that you hopefully love, or at least maybe if that's too strong, at least you enjoy them, uh, head on over to www.patreon.com forward slash Media and you can become a patron yourself. Uh, support us and also get some mad perks. It's a little pr- quid pro quo. Yep. And if you want to make sure there's uh, more Wildbow material that can be the inspiration for mm-hmm. books in the library, mm-hmm. uh, head on over to patreon.com forward slash Wildbow and keep him uh, horrifying us all. <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, yes. Uh, so thanks for joining us and we'll see you soon for Possession 15.2 on Wednesday the 8th of January. See you then. See ya. See ya.